Nobody likes to suffer. Nobody likes experiencing dukkha. However, we do all experience dukkha. And sometimes it's something fairly minor, sometimes it's quite major. Losing a loved one, for instance, and losing a parent and even when it's expected it can still feel very painful difficult to deal with or minor minor moments of suffering like the disappointment with our current audio system in the Dhamma Hall here seems to not be easily fixed and that's frustrating disappointing however it's not a big deal it is still suffering and obviously our not wanting suffering not wanting dukkha doesn't mean that it goes away and although it's obvious as I say it doesn't stop us from trying to get rid of it. As we, we all know, even, even having heard the Buddha's teachings about the need to be mindful of dukkha and investigate the cause of dukkha, still we have all sorts of tricks that we get up to with trying to avoid dukkha, trying to get over, get rid of our suffering. And this causes us extra difficulties. It's not just the original experience of dukkha, but then there's the dukkha plus plus that arises out of our resisting dukkha, our trying to avoid suffering. Recently, somebody related, well, a story, however, they shared with me an experience they had that that illustrates this dynamic very well. How the inevitable suffering of life, if we don't really meet it, it turns into something even more difficult to deal with. And he said, by the way, he said it was alright for me to talk about it. So, because it illustrates so well and it's a pattern that I expect on some level all of us will be familiar with. So on this occasion, this chap had, did lose his, his father. His father passed away. However, that was six or seven years ago. And then suddenly, out of the blue, he started having a whole series of dreams of enormous grief, which surprised him because he thought he'd gone through the experience of losing his father and helping the rest of his family deal with it. He thought he'd gone through it responsibly and capably. And, and then these dreams started happening. The first one was where he was in a state of shock, like frozen, could barely move, 
could just he could see his father's coffin couldn't see his father he just see the coffin and didn't want to go anywhere near it was somehow feeling driven in this frozen state to approach the coffin and and then woke up in in tears difficult pain that was the first dream then the second dream is he could hear his father couldn't see him, he could hear him. And still a lot of grief. In the third dream, he could hear his father and could see his father. Still grief and sadness. However, it had diminished. And the reason I want to mention this is because if we don't appreciate the consequences of our denying dukkha, of our trying to avoid suffering of life, we, in fact, as I said, turn it into dukkha plus plus. We compound it. And and for many people on the spiritual path, this is an issue uh, that, because they don't understand it, they turn it into a problem. And that's really regrettable. It's not that Every time we experience some difficulty, we've got to stop what we're doing and deal with our emotional upset. What this fellow did when, when his father passed away and he was in a position to presumably help the rest of the family and, and deal with things, that's the right thing to do. Or as I, we've spoken before about how a parent, when a child is struggling over something, and the parent feels emotionally upset by the pain that the child is going through. However, right now is not the time to be dealing with it. So you can park that painful feeling in your belly for a while and deal with what needs to be dealt with, with the funeral arrangements or the upset child or whatever else it might be. And then the smart thing to do, the healthy thing to do, is to give yourself time to go back and check out whatever it was that we parked in our belly. Is it something that we let go of it, or did we in fact deny it? Because these experiences that we go through in life, sadness, loss, anger, loneliness, frustration, it's all energy, and energy doesn't disappear if we push it down, push it into unawareness. It doesn't mean that it goes away. As I was saying, in fact, it tends to become more complex, more difficult to deal with. The good news uh, is that at the very core of the Buddha's teachings, there are instructions on how to deal with this dynamic of dukkha. As we would all know, the Buddha, uh, the point of his awakening realization didn't go on about just how blissful life was now that he was free from the the discomfort of unawareness. Rather, he spent time contemplating how to communicate his realization to others. What he came up with was the the Dhamma Chakrabhuatana Sutta with the community recited last night, the Four Noble Truths. This is a contemplation, an investigation, 
series of instructions on how to meet this experience that we refer to as suffering or Pali dukkha, dissatisfaction, frustration, disappointment, how to really meet it constructively. So this is the good news that the Buddha and, and all the teachers over the years have been sharing their insights and articulating the true principles that we would be wise to have faith in, in orienting our lives around these true principles or around these these Dhamma teachings, orienting our lives around Dhamma. You know, this is safe from their perspective of insight to identify these principles and then trust in them. And then also the skillful means for dealing with our experience of being obstructed. And skillful means in, in Pali, the word upaya, U-P-A-Y-A, that maybe some of you will have come across. Or in the Thai language, ubai. There's these many ubai or upaya, these skillful means, techniques for approaching the, uh, the conundrums that we encounter on this journey, and of which there are many. So these teachings that we've received uh, pointing out that this, in this experience of dukkha is to be looked into. We don't have to turn it into a problem. We don't have to deny it. If we don't have the good fortune of receiving these teachings, then it is very normal that people turn the dukkha of life into a problem. They don't see it as an instruction on how to develop wisdom. And as you will have perhaps experienced to some degree in your own life and observed in other people, that when people don't have true principles around which they can orient their life or skillful means that they can equip themselves with so as to deal with life difficulties, then as the years go by, they get more and more miserable and more and more grumpy. Why is that? They might say, well, it's because I'm not young and strong and healthy anymore. Well, I would suggest that the reason that as people get older and they tend to increase in in grumpiness and misery is because they're building up a backlog of denied dukkha just like storing up all this duke in the basement, pushing it down and then hoping it'll go away. And it just the basement just gets more and more full of denied life. And it tends to fester down there and and the smell comes up and you just don't want to know about it. And and people get more frantic and trying to distract themselves from this accumulation of denied life and to the point where they even end up medicating to was to try and forget about it. Well, again, but then the, the good news is that there are teachings which encourage us to develop our spiritual faculties, our, our potentials, so as to not reactively deny dukkha, rather the, to see it as a message. This is this needs to be looked into so we can learn how to let go of the habits of resistance that's turning the normal events of life into a problem. If we are motivated to address 
this backlog of denied dukkha. And of course, as you would expect me to say, I think it's a very good idea to be motivated to address it. Then there are helpful ways of doing this and less helpful ways of doing this. And one of the less helpful ways of doing it is being overly idealistic. We uh, often, at least modern people, seriously educated and disembodied, uh, identified in their thinking mind, come across the, the brilliance of the Buddha's teachings. I think, this is incredible. I'm going to be enlightened. And greed for enlightenment takes over. Tanha is a form of craving, an obstruction. Bhava tanha Becoming enlightened is a form of craving, it's an obstruction. Vibhava tanha is a form of craving, it's an obstruction. If we are in too much of a hurry and we're not subtle enough, then we don't realize this obstruction or these obstructions that we're creating in our hearts and in our minds and in our bodies. And we just get greedy for overcoming our obstructions and becoming enlightened. We try too hard. We can get aggressive in our efforts. And we're already out of balance when we come across these teachings, lost in our thinking, out of touch with what our hearts are telling us, what our body's telling us often, believing in the conditioning that we've received in our early life, unaware that we have a, a deficit when it comes to potential strengths and abilities like gratitude and forgiveness and determination and generosity, these forces for transformation which really we're, we're going to need if we want to progress in this journey. We're unaware of these deficits that we're suffering from and just build on what we see as our strength, which is being assertive. Sadly, what happens is that we throw ourselves even more out of balance if we are overly aggressive. So that's unhelpful. And this, there's a lot of this, including in monasteries. And people turn up at the monastery in the beginning. They, they love the teachings. They love the place. And they love the teacher. And they throw themselves into the training. And then one year, that's okay. Two years, well, it's starting to get a bit wobbly. Then, and then they reach maybe the, what we sometimes call the terrible twos. And or maybe it lasts a bit longer before they start becoming disillusioned. And all their idealistic projections on, on the place and on the teachings and on the teacher, the bubble bursts, and then they hate everything, hate the place, hate the teacher, can't stand it, and disappear. That's unhelpful, that's regrettable. I mean, we all start out with a, from a perspective of unawareness. and If we're in too much of a hurry, we're too greedy, and we don't learn from the lessons of disillusionment. Disillusionment is normal. We start to realize we were projecting our heart's ability out onto external conditions. It's time to take that energy back and and be more responsible for ourselves instead of expecting the place or the teacher or the teachings to save us, that we've got to take responsibility for ourselves. That's the lesson. If we're in too much of a hurry, if we're too aggressive, then we don't get the lesson. So, 
if we're, again, if we're interested in addressing this backlog of denied dukkha, we're overly aggressive, that's unhelpful. What is helpful is, as obviously logically follows on from that, and hopefully by now all of you have the experience to recognize that really a gentle approach, a modest approach, a patient approach, which means that when we encounter disillusionment, disappointment, frustration, we are there for it. It feels like this. This is what disappointment feels like. This is what anger feels like. And we study the anger. We make room for the anger. Instead of rejecting it and blaming, and we open our hearts and make the effort to take responsibility for this experience of anger or sadness or loneliness. If we don't have a concept of there being consequences to denying dukkha, to avoiding suffering, if we don't have this concept, then it's quite normal and sadly often is the case that when we start meditating or any degree of introspection, instead of just following, looking outwards, listening outwards, following the tendency to go outwards all the time, if we turn the tension inwards, then we will encounter this backlog. And if we don't understand it for what it is, then we can misperceive it, and misunderstand it, and react unskillfully. Because it's normal that it looks like it's too much, to quote my dear late good friend the Ramyokyoni, when you're doing the real thing it feels like too much too soon. If we're not forcing our practice, if we're not caught up in being excessively greedy for results, caught up in being overly assertive in practice, which is keeping our precepts and keeping a regular modest practice going, when this backlog starts to manifest, even if it looks like it's too much, there's a good chance that it won't be. It can really look like it is too much sadness, too much anger, and it can feel like it's overwhelming. So this concept of the backlog of denied dukkha is very helpful when you start encountering that shows up. Hopefully, you're not fooled by it into turning away from it and passing judgment on yourself as if there's something wrong with you. Oh, I don't have enough barami, or, or this practice is too hard for me. And instead of turning away from it, we go deeper and we listen again to the teachings that we've received, the, the true principles that we can orient our life around, and the upai or skillful means that we can hopefully become competent in and increase our capacity to meet our backlog of denied dukkha. So, for instance, the, the Buddha's teachings, the upai, are on cultivating metta bhavana, conscious kindness. And a very important aspect of the cultivation of conscious kindness is self-caring. 
are we able to really feel care for ourselves? Not merely think, may I be well, and you know, from some split-off abstract perspective, and, and looking at our image of ourselves, trying to feel good about ourselves. In our hearts, can we wish ourselves well and feel nourished by that, feel strengthened by that? experience the possibility of opening our hearts so as to accommodate this backlog of pain. Because this pain is only energy. It's not like you know, something from outside us is attacking us. It's our own heart energy that we're experiencing. You know, with self-caring, there's a potential for meeting ourselves in a way whereby we don't have to fight the pain as complex and as unwelcome and as threatening as it might be with a heart of conscious caring there's a better chance we'll be able to receive it and say yes however unwelcome it might be a willingness to meet ourselves where we're at not default to the image we have of ourselves going back up into our heads again and my practice and my opinions and my views on where I'm at and my problems and and relating to the image of ourselves is a very limited way of operating and sooner or later, sooner hopefully rather than later, we will learn to release out of relating to merely to that image we have of ourselves up in our heads and coming back down to our hearts and to our bodies and meeting ourselves with whole being awareness. And you say, what is whole being awareness? Well, don't think too much about it. Just just let that expression settle in and feel what it means rather than think about it. But, well, in the scriptures, it's nothing about whole being awareness. Well, it's like getting nourished by eating a recipe book. Yeah. The recipe book is instructions for what to do so as to create food, so as to get nourished. The texts, the, the teachings that we read, you know, they're instructions that are pointing in the direction. And the direction is the cultivation of a whole being awareness. And it includes our heads and our thoughts and also our hearts and, and the feelings that we have, the wonderful, lovely, agreeable feelings, and also the utterly despairing feelings that we have. So letting go of the image that we have in our heads coming down into our bodies. and So long as we stay up in our heads all the time, relating to the image we have of ourselves, that illustration I've given in the past of if you've got a, a wound on your forehead and you look in the mirror and then you put the cream on the mirror, well, that's a mistake. However, as foolish as that sounds, that is often what we do. We think about the pain of life. Some image comes to mind. This person said that to me, and, and then ouch, the pain. Rather than coming down to our hearts and really meeting that pain in our hearts, in our bodies, and expanding our awareness, opening our hearts and receiving it, allowing it to be there and letting it teach us, we stay up our heads running around in circles and say, they said that, why did they say that? And what am I going to say to them back again? They shouldn't have said that, and I should have said this, and this going round and round in circles. And that's just... That's waving the smoke around. That's not dealing with the fire. You know, the fire is in our hearts. The fire is in our bodies. And, and, you know, 
the heat going into our heads if we're not careful. And that's painful. However, sooner or later we need to let go of trying to deal with the smoke and come down back into our hearts and feel what it is that we're feeling. Letting go of the image we have of ourselves. So the struggles that we all encounter on this journey, whether they're major struggles or minor struggles, and the encouragement that we receive from the Buddha and the great teachers is to not automatically judge the struggles as a sign that something's going wrong, rather that these are teachings. And what is my relationship with the feeling of frustration, with the feeling of disappointment? Now, sure, there are other teachings around that talk about getting happier and believing in things that promise a bright future and and how we believe in that promise and distract ourselves by believing in such promises of what might happen in the future. Oh, that's not the Buddha's teaching. And, and instead of pursuing the fantasy of an enlightened version of me, right practice might actually mean exercising the modesty to learn to meet ourselves in the foolish version of me that we are. Instead of building on our strengths and which is thinking about things, meet ourselves in our weakness. So Today would be, if my mother was still alive, today would be her birthday. And so my mother was somebody who had a lot of suffering in her life and not a lot of skillful means. So I'd like to dedicate this evening's Dhamma reflection to my dear mother. May she be free from suffering. Thank you for your attention. Sadhana.